0: Welcome to another episode of Fight the Burnout. Uh, Today we have Chief of Police uh, from just outside uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, JT. Uh, He's going to talk to us about his experience with burnout, working all the way through up to the Chief uh, over the last 18 years. As usual, as I say with all these episodes, take one thing away. Take one thing away, take action on it and you'll start to make a difference in your life. Uh, As usual, episodes are sponsored by Create From Why, and currently uh, we are running a motorcycle retreat in May next year to teach all of our learnings uh, off the back of motorcycles through the southwest of the US, which will be kinda cool. Uh, So if you're interested in that, just hit us up uh, and drop us an email it's down in the description below but without further ado jt why don't you take it away tell us a little bit about your backstory how you got into policing and then um you know briefly just kind of over your over your career up to where you are now
1: sure uh well first of all thanks for having me um i started out uh, with a dream of getting into law enforcement like a lot of people do it started in high school with my school resource officer Uh, just someone who set a really good example. and was a a really positive reflection on the policing profession. And so, you know, when you get to that crossroads at the end of high school, and you wonder, like, what am I going to do when I grow up? That was kind of the only logical thing I could see for myself. So um, out of high school, I declared my major as criminal justice in college. Uh, But unfortunately, I didn't buy the books or anything. And so I didn't do very well at first, um, which led me to the military, Um, uh, served in the Navy for five years as a military policeman. And that was really what I needed to get my focus in life. Uh, It was through that experience, um, deployments, marriage, that, that I was able to focus in on what I really wanted to do. And that was to be a leader in the policing profession. So as soon as I got out, uh, I started as a civilian police officer. Uh, Over the last 18 years, I've done a number of things, Uh, worked in traffic as a drug recognition expert, Uh, did 10 years in canine, um, handled three dogs. Uh, One of them was killed in the line of duty, Um, worked all the way up through the sergeant rank as a canine handler. Uh, And then when I promoted to lieutenant, I had to step away from that. And have been in, you know, leadership positions ever since. Um, I I became a chief on September 11th of 2019, just prior to the start of COVID. Um, So my first three years as a police chief has been an absolute trial by fire. Um, Every type of adversity that you can uh, imagine or that I could have imagined as a police chief, I have experienced in the last three years. Um, and it hasn't deterred me one bit. I think that this is still one of the greatest professions on the face of the planet, and um, I'm living the dream every day. And I'm so thankful that I get to do this.
0: That's amazing, man. And thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, when you when you find that passion, a, eh, just, there's just nothing. There's nothing like it. I always say this. You know, policing. I did seven and a half years, and uh, ultimately, a lot of people know my story that I burned out, but. From PTSD and just hit rock bottom, but uh, I always say this: it's the best job in the world, but it can also be the hardest job in the world. <laughs> of course, yeah, no doubt. Um, so um, I want to rewind real quick. So you've done, you did canine for a while. How was that? How was doing canine for so long? You know, and and really getting, obviously getting specialized in it. Um, what do you think the benefits of that has brought to where you are now?
1: Um. I owe a lot of my career and a lot of the lessons that I've learned and uh, owe a lot about the leader that I am today to my time uh, in K-9. I also learned a lot about burnout in K-9 as well. Um, You know, but really um, that was my first taste at a specialty outside of traffic Mm -hmm. and, you know, being a DRE and working traffic is pretty black and white, you know, Uh, crashes happen a certain way, violations happen a certain way. And, you know, you can really get into a routine when you're dealing with those things. But uh, when you start handling a dog, everything changes. Nothing is the same. Every situation you go to is completely different. And, um, you know, I had the pleasure of being around a lot of really great leaders uh, in canine. And I was around some of the absolute worst leaders when I was in K-9 and you know as well as anybody that you're shaped by good and bad so I learned a lot about what I wanted to do uh, when I moved up into leadership and then I also made many notes about things that I would never do as a leader because I remembered what that felt like Um, but it was by far the most rewarding time of my career I had the most fun Um, got to do a lot of really incredible things. I hope uh, those things made an impact in our world, in our profession, in the canine field. Um, So it was a sad day uh, when I had to walk away. But if you were to be in my office right now, you would see a wall over here of uh, pictures of dogs and awards. And I've got my (laughs) original leash right over here. Um, So it is very much a part of who I am. I have a Belgian Malinois at home uh as a pet for our family and she's the absolute greatest. Um so I live and breathe everything canine.
0: No, I love it. I love it. That's um yeah it's it's so true. Like I've worked alongside working when I was on the street obviously would be with the canine guys got to chase people and be behind them. I had a big um German shepherd literally just a bit somebody, turned around, came up the hill and was straight at me and I can tell you this I almost needed to change my undies that day because I mean, it's, it's a scary thing but yeah so doing it for 10 years that's amazing i love the fact that th- w- what you said there though is that you had some great leaders and you had some horrible leaders I order to highlight the fact that you identified what you you know what you liked in the good leaders and what you didn't like in the leaders as well and didn't and decided you know wrote down what i don't want to be once I'm, when i'm a leader um did you just come up with that, or did you? Did somebody say that? To the, you know, give you that idea to do that, or was it just something that you just naturally did?
1: You know, I think somewhere along the way in my leadership journey, uh, one of the great leaders that crossed my path—who it was—I I couldn't tell you—but somewhere along the way, somebody had to have told me that it doesn't matter if the situation that you're in is good or bad. It doesn't matter if the leader that is over you. Is good or bad. There's something to learn there. Um, and I think that I've carried that with me throughout. So even in some really awful, ugly situations, um, you know, there's something to take away that's positive that you can tug back and say, Hey, if I'm ever, if I ever have an opportunity, I'm going to do for someone what this person did for me or said to me. Um, and then conversely, I remember what it feels like when I, when somebody treats you poorly uh, or when somebody doesn't fight for you when they should, and I will never do that for somebody. I will always fight for my people because I remember, I will remember this moment where I felt, you know, awful and betrayed and alone. And I don't want every, anybody to ever feel that way who works for me. So I can't pin it to one particular person, but, you know, somewhere along the way, I was enlightened and I'm sure thankful for that.
0: Uh, that's awesome that you've that you've car- that you've carried that along, and I'm sure we'll get to it around you know how you kind of transfer that to to the the officers that you know look up to you at this stage. Uh, tell me a little bit. You said you know you you experienced burnout during those K nine years, and I'm, I'm I'm focusing on the K nine years because it was a big portion of it. And it sounds like you're extremely passionate about the K nine side of stuff, and when we're passionate about something, what I've found is you can actually burn out even harder in it because you're so passionate about it. Gosh. You see it in a lot of new cops. You know, the first couple years they start to, they just throw everything into it and start to burn out. What were some of those experiences and what were some of the learnings that you learned from those, those states of burnout during the K-9 years?
1: Yeah. So just like you said, um, jumping into that as my first specialty, um, as a police officer and, you know, let's be honest, being a K-9 handler is a dream for a lot of cops. Mm. And so there I was in a dream come true, you know, handling a dog and, This is what I'll say. And I'm, I I don't want to play the blame game here, but when I was selected to move into canine, I was working in a small department at the time and there was no one to guide me, nobody to tell me what to expect. No one to tell me what healthy boundaries looked like as a dog handler. And So as a high drive, younger officer, I put all this pressure on myself. Nobody did it to me. I did it to myself. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the number one, most dependable canine around. I wanted everybody to call me. I wanted them to trust me. I wanted my dog to be the best, to be the highest performer. And you know, you only get that with a lot of work and training you know, so I put everything into my dog, I put everything into my work. And I over time, I ended up running myself into the ground. But, you know, it all started when I was a, a handler by myself, I was the only dog in the county. And it was 952 square miles. And so, uh, you know, I'm married, I have children. And now I'm the only canine available in this huge County and I'm on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I didn't, I didn't create any boundary for myself and neither did my agency. Mm. They just said, Hey, if you know, this is what you love and this is what you want to do, we're not going to stop you. And so I went and went and went and, um, you know, almost ran myself into the ground. Now, fast forward a few years, I moved over to the sheriff's office and they brought me there with the intent to create a canine unit from scratch. So we went from no dogs to three dogs. And that helped lighten the load. But as a young leader, what I found myself doing is taking that same pressure and really, really high expectations and projecting that onto the people who were in my unit. I'm a high performer. I'm I'm high drive. I have a really successful dog because I invested a lot of time and energy into that partnership. And now as a leader, I expect you to do the same. Mm. And a lot of those expectations that I had uh, for my troops were unreasonable. And thankfully, we had open dialogue. We were vulnerable with each other and I was able to accept that feedback. Um, I also had some good mentors in my life Um, uh, my chief specifically who would speak truth to me and, and just let me know that, um, not everyone is like you, not everyone is going to be like you. And it's not reasonable to expect that, you know, what are your minimum standards that you want everybody to achieve? And that's what you have to hold them to quit, quit doing all this, you know, above and beyond Uh, you can do that, but when you start placing that on other people, Mm put them at risk of things like burnout. And that was really the first time as a leader where I understood the weight of the responsibility that I have for the lives, the sanity, the quality of relationships for other people. You know, so in that leadership position, it wasn't just about making sure the dogs performed, making sure the handlers were prepared and training. It was making sure that my expectations didn't erode their marriage, didn't take time away from them and their children, didn't, you know, cause them so much stress that they, they weren't watching what they were eating or, you know, making them where they didn't want to work out or do any of these healthy things that helped keep them regulated. And, uh, you know, f- from burning out, um, I was trying to push everybody to the limit, demand, high performance. And, Once I understood what it was that I was holding in my hands as a leader, everything changed. And I began to to really focus on the health and wellness of the officer, the health and wellness of the dog. And that, you know, there was extreme value in that downtime, in that decompression, in that inward focus on, on your own wellness.
0: Oh, that's that's absolutely amazing. How long did it take you to come to that realization? Because I know as cops, we're a type personality. It's uh, you know I, I know I know a lot. So I've I've done this. I've succeeded at all these different things. Like you had, um, how long did it take you to come to that realization as leading your you know that that whole new unit? How long did it, was that process? Would you say?
1: Well, when we decided we were going to create the unit, I developed a criteria that I wanted these new handlers to meet, you know, a physical agility test, a written exam, an interview board in front of a bunch of other outside canine handlers, you know, all this stuff. And the first clue should have been everybody who took the test failed it.
0: <laughs> so that
1: should have been clue number one. Then uh, on the PT test, you know, we had, only one person passed it was able to complete it. Um, And so I ended up making a selection because I didn't give myself an out. You know, it wasn't like, if you don't meet the criteria, we're not going to pick you. I, you know, I, I put myself in a bad position. So we had to make a selection. And then ultimately the person that I selected washed out. And this is after we had paired the person with a dog. This is after we had sent them to six, eight, 10 weeks worth of training and spent a ton of money getting this person ready. It wasn't until that person washed out that I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Why are these people not successful? Now I do think that that person was not the right fit for the unit. However, I was also able to examine these really high expectations that I had. And that's when I was able to go, okay, this is probably a little a little too much here. You're, you're pushing too hard. You're asking too much. You know, let's let's dial it back and look a little more holistically at this process.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that you were able to learn from that and not just go. No, it's everybody else's fault because we see it a lot. I think we're seeing it a lot now with with the leaders and there's a lot of talk around it. That that's what we see a lot is that it, no, it's not my fault. It's yours. You didn't. You didn't. This this is the criteria. You just didn't pass it. It's all your fault. So I love the fact that you could that you recognize that realization that you had that um, awareness to yourself. Anyways, what would you say is you know what do you see when you think of burnout? You know, in yourself or in others? What would you define that as?
1: I think for me, burnout is losing. I'm a, I'm a high drive person. I mm-hmm. set high expect or I have high expectations for myself. I'm very goal oriented, um, but for me. When, when I lose the desire to perform at a high level, I know I'm getting burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, that naturally comes. You can tell I love this job. I am passionate about this job. But when the weight of the job or the decisions that we're having to make or the, the external things that we're having to deal with becomes so weighty and that pressure became, becomes so much, um, when that desire begins to fade, um, that's how I know I'm moving in that direction and I have to pivot and change.
0: Can you think of a specific, like your top, like time that that's happened to you?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I mentioned uh, before that my, one of my dogs was killed in the line of duty. Um, so I handled the dog, retired him, went to school, got a new dog. Um, we had, you know, we did about eight to 12 weeks in school, got out on the street, got certified and we were, tr- we were on our first track. It was going to be my dog's first apprehension. Um, we hadn't been on the street at home, but you know, for a few weeks and uh, we're tracking the suspect. We come around some trees and the bad guy had concealed himself underneath the tree, He'd completely covered his body and leaves. So you couldn't see him. the dog could smell him dog went right to him suspect sat up and shot my dog twice um i'd just gotten the dog this was his first you know everything was going to culminate in a really successful deployment and immediately everything changed Mm -hmm. um so you know with that that's a critical incident officer involved shooting you know we fired and the suspect was killed um so you're, you're dealing with your partner being killed, you're dealing with having to take another human being's life. You're dealing with all the work things that come along with that. Uh, In our case in Texas, you know, the Texas Rangers come in Mm -hmm. and they investigate the officer involved shooting. And then you have to go to the grand jury. And then there's the effect that this whole incident has on your family. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm married, I've got kids, my kids and my wife are bonded with this dog. That I just came back with, everybody's devastated. It affected everybody, and man, I didn't know if I was going to be able to go back and uh, and do it. I seriously thought about whether or not I was going to be able to continue um, in law enforcement or even in canine um, at that point. And again, it's not it's not right in the moment. It's in the wash of everything that comes after. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was really one, one time if I had to put my finger on it. Um, but there is another that I think is worth mentioning. And that is when, uh, I'd promoted, uh, but I was working for uh, a leader or a couple of leaders that were really, really difficult, mm-hmm. really difficult, uh, to work for. And I found myself losing that fire, um, I felt like nothing I could do uh, was right. I feel like all the great ideas I brought forward were uh, manipulated and molded into someone else's without, you know, giving credit. Um, I felt like I was carrying such a huge weight and load uh, for those leaders because they were lower performing and that became exhaustive, you know, trying to to do good in your job, but then also prop other people up, um, believing that their success is the organization's success. And I don't want to see the organization fail. So you see how that immediately becomes one person is trying to carry a whole organization on their back. And that's not sustainable. Again, I put that pressure on myself. I could have sat in my office, done my thing, and not worried about the organization and let, you know, what happened, happen. But I'm not wired that way. And I think you and probably a lot of people who are interested in this topic are the same way Yeah. or high drive, big load carrying people. And often we don't realize we've done too much until it's too late. And then we have to start figuring out how we're going to unpack this stuff and, you know, get to a, a place of better wellness. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm fortunate that I've been able to to come through those things, uh, mostly because of the help of, you know, my wife and kids um, who will call it out, say, hey, something <laughs> something's different here. Like, you know, you're not the same, you're doing too much, you're working too much. And that's really the eye opener uh, that I've had throughout my career. They've, they've always kept me uh, in moderation.
0: So has a, I just wanna rewind a little bit and thanks for sharing that because there's two different things there that, that, that as you've identified, cause burnout majorly in our in this profession um you know i've had i've had both as well Uh, you know i had an incident where i had a female partner of mine we went to go arrest a guy at a domestic he went and tried to you know was evading from us went for the front door she went to go stop him and he just sucker punched her right across the face uh and we caught him but you know i took that as again weight of the shoulders i was supposed to protect her i you know i care about protecting females higher than anything else but then she was also my partner on the street as well so it was like it's like, so I had that compounding and then I also, I had some bad leaders and some stuff that I did later on as well, which didn't allow us to do anything. So I can fully relate with it. I want to jump back to the canine, um, your, your canine getting shot and killed and, you know, having that dilemma on your head of, can I kill, keep doing this? You know, should I keep doing this? Was it you that identified that you were burning out or was it somebody that said something?
1: I knew that something was happening. Mm. Um, n- nobody said anything to me. I think, you know, that would have been, you know, early to 2010 ish or like, the, you know, the 2010 somewhere. Um, and we weren't doing as good of a job of talking about wellness and, and <laughs> mental wellness as we should have been, you know, at that time. Uh, so nobody said anything to me. It was a lot of the, like, you good. Yeah, yeah I'm good. And that's it. I mean, that was the wellness check. Yeah. Um, But for me, I knew that something was different and I felt like I had a choice to make. Do I want to continue doing this? Do I want to continue in this profession? Do I want to keep doing this kind of work or do I want to do something else? And I would always come back to this feeling of I was put on the planet to do this. I was put on the planet to be a police officer. I'm not good at anything else. I can't work on cars. I'm really awful at like home repairs. Like I'm not good. I, I'm, but I'm a a pretty good cop. And so when you feel that, when you feel like this is my purpose, you don't want to walk away from it. So it almost forces you to, to figure out a way to sort through this weightiness and, and, you know, figure out how you're going to get through it. Um, I didn't have as much training and awareness as I probably should have to be able to identify, really put my finger on exactly what was going on, but it was just a a feeling. Mm. Um, I feel heavy. I feel down. Um, I can't get it off my mind. My heart's racing. Like you know, all of those psychophysical things that are happening, and you just know that you're not normal. Mm. Um, And so, okay, let me let me think through this. What changes can I make? How can you know, how can I come out of this? And, you know, for, I'm, I'm thankful, I'm blessed that I was able to find a way to do that. But how exactly I did that, brother, I have no idea. That,
0: that was, was going to be my next question. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. yeah. Do you think you process you've processed it completely 100% even to this day?
1: Yes, um, I do. Um, there were some moments where, okay, so i I've never had PTSD. I do think I experienced some PTS after uh, the shooting. Um, But my shooting was really clean for, for lack of a better word. I mean, the suspect fired at us, killed my dog. We fired back, killed him. You know, there's a gun in his hand, like
0: pretty cut and dry.
1: It's pretty cut (laughs) and dry. So there, there wasn't, a lot of baggage that came with that other than the fact that he was a human he was somebody's son he was somebody's you know boyfriend he you know like and that w- we took his life like mm. that that is weighty that's the part that I felt post-traumatic stress with um, but I mentioned before I had a really great chief. And he said, hey, listen, I know that you're, you're feeling fine and, and and everything's good, but you've got to go see someone. I'm, I'm going to make you go see someone. Um, and he said, she's a cop. She's a therapist. She's a former cop. She speaks our language, but you got to go visit with her. And I said, yes, sir. No problem. Whatever I got to do to get back. And uh, to be honest with you, I feel like that was a little leading edge at that time
0: yeah yeah it and, would have been.
1: And so I I really am thankful to him that he made me go through that process um, not because it really helped me heal per se but it showed me from a leadership perspective what what it looks like to care for someone mm. post critical incident and so now being in that position, I've been able to execute that same kind of sequence for officers who have worked for me and gone through a critical incident, because I had a great man and a great leader who set the right example for me and put me through that. Um, so um, that's kind of how I. I work yeah, no, I think it.
0: it's I think it's so true, and you know, this is the one thing that I that I preach, uh, you know, <laughs> preach in a way to 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 people all the time is. That communication side of stuff, by him communicating to you, hey, I get it, I get that, you know, you're fine, but you need to go talk to somebody. Just the communication side. Uh, you and I talked about it, and any of the listeners have been listening for a while know my story that I came back to the U.S., bought a motorcycle, did 8,000 miles on the bike just to refine myself because I'd lost myself so much. Yeah. And the number one thing that made the hu- the biggest difference was actually talking about what I was going through and what I had experienced. And so just by going to that counselor, going to that psychologist, or going to that person, especially if they're an ex-cop or they speak the lingo and they understand what you've gone through and they can, you know, may, not exactly, but they have an idea, they can, you can actually, you'll, you'll communicate to them more. Sure. And so just by getting that weight off the shoulders does it. You said about, you know, taking that guy's life and it's massive. You also had a, something that you were emotionally connected to get killed as well. Sure. So you had all that PTS, PTS, PTSD, whatever it is that you worked through in that. It's awesome to hear that you did that. Um, I wanted to jump forward to the difficult leaders because I know that this is a huge one that people are talking about right now. Um, I'm running some other stuff. I'm consulting with a few things, and it's a topic that people have brought up a lot, leadership. And we see it. It's a huge buzz thing at the moment. What do you believe helped you get through that time and with that burnout? with those difficult leaders?
1: Um, I think more than anything, it was the hope of what would come from enduring that bad leadership. So almost saying to yourself, I will outlast this person. And Mm -hmm. once they go, I will make things better. I will be in a better position Mm -hmm. to make things better. So a little bit of stubbornness probably uh, helped get through those uh, periods. Uh, but I'll be honest, uh, prior to my or as a result of some bad leaders is how I even got here to Lake Worth, you know, and that's kind of the, the fairy tale ending after that. Um, but just got pushed to the point um, where the best decision to deal with those bad leaders was to walk away, was to say, I don't have to be here. Um, And I think that's really important for the policing profession for your listeners and for those young officers to know that if you are in a bad leadership situation and you've determined that sticking it out and being stubborn is not a viable option, walk away, Mm -hmm. go find somewhere to work where you are valued. You are appreciated for what you bring to the table do not be chained to these awful situations and these bad leadership um, or these bad leaders. You don't have to be there. Don't subject yourself and your family to these situations. Um, and so was,
0: was your bad leadership in Lake Worth or was it somewhere different? No, you don't have to say where it was.
1: No, no, no. no. Um, I, I've experienced it. In every place that I've been, some places worse than others. Um, I can take it all the way back to the military, yeah. to my first PD, to the SO, or then, you know, here. And in each place, I've worked for someone really great and someone that made me want to run my head through the wall and question life itself, right? Um, yeah. We've we've all been there, and I've learned something from all of them, Um you know, anything from being, you know, demeaned, demoralized, uh, all the way to the um, I'm threatened, right? So if uh, you're in one of those situations where, you know, maybe you have a high level of education, or you're recognized in some way, that makes another person feel insecure, and they begin to uh, do things that because of their insecurity that impact your work life. You know, maybe they start to, you know, they start to gossip or they start to not give you opportunities that you would, that you used to get because they're afraid, you know, you'll get more recognition than than they do or or whatever. Um, And again, when you're a really high drive, high performance person, those things are deeply personal. And it can really throw you into a tailspin. Um, However, the more of those experiences you have, the better you get at identifying it and saying, oh, I've been here. I know what this is. And it completely changes your mindset. But that only comes with experience. The first few, you're just like, I can't believe there are even people on the planet who who act like this, who would do these things, who are so, um, you know, grossly incompetent or insecure that they would do these things w- with another person. But as you mature, maybe as you get more education or you go to more training, you really begin to, to be able to put your finger on these things and call them what they are. And that changes everything. Yeah. Once you know that you're what you're dealing with and it's and you're better able to not take it personal you can cope much better with those really bad leaders. I'm
0: glad that you, I'm glad that you said that because it is it's so true. Once you have awareness, then you can identify it. Then you can be like, okay, cool. What do I want to do with this? Like, do I want to leave or do I want to just go, that's the way that they are and okay, cool. I'll just get on with my job. Like, I'll get on with what I'm doing. Um, and that awareness
1: allows you to take the emotion out of it. Yes. Right? Yes. You know, once you can call it what it is, then you can step back and be objective and say, yeah. you know, it's this or that and you can make that decision with a clear head, you know, and cool emotion rather than I'm lost, I'm confused, I feel desperate and and that's not a good place to be oh. making decisions.
0: No, it's so true and this is why I do these these podcasts and that as well is because what it is is it's collapsing that time down. So you know, you've taken your 18 years of experience and you haven't told us all of it but you've collapsed a lot of it down and given new officers or current officers your experience which they'd have to go through 18 years (laughs) to figure out, um, doing it. So it's, it's so good. And I appreciate that. Um, now, did you end up with that bad leadership? Because I know that there's a lot of people that are like, Oh yeah, I've got bad leadership, but I can't move because of family or I can't do this or, you know, they use all these different, you know, excuses or reasons, some valid, some not. Um, did you end up moving out moving away from that department because of the leadership?
1: I did. Let me tell you this story. So I was working in the sheriff's office, And I was desperate for something new. I had to get out of there. Um, I didn't know if that was going to look like a complete career change or what. But um, I ended up getting the job here at Lake Worth. And Lake Worth is about an hour from where I was living. And so I was driving two hours a day, five days a week to and from work. And I have a family who I love deeply Mm -hmm. and I was never at home. I felt like I never saw them. And that was the worst, the worst thing for me because I do what I do because I love people, but more importantly, I love my family. And um, so where we lived was my great grandfather's farm. Okay. So it was three pieces. When he passed away, his three children got a piece. My grandfather's piece was this piece that we built our house on. And down by the front is a pecan tree where my grandfather's ashes were um, cast when he passed away. Okay. So one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make was the decision to move. But it is also the greatest decision. And the one that I have zero regrets about making mm. leaving that house and moving open doors that I would have never thought would open for me to include becoming one of the youngest police chiefs in the state of Texas. Mm. If I would not have moved, they likely would never have considered me for the opportunity yeah. because I didn't live anywhere nearby. And why are we going to have a police chief who's got an hour response time, right? So it was kind of a faith step. It felt like the right thing to do. It was incredibly hard, but big risk, big reward. And in in that case, for me, it did pay off. So to those who would say, I'm unsure about moving, I'm unsure about stepping away from whatever this situation is that makes me uncomfortable my encouragement would be, don't be afraid. If you are struggling, if whatever that circumstance is, is making your life, your family's life. um, If it's impacting those things in a negative way, then what have you got to lose? Step out, you know, like you, like I'm going to get on a motorcycle and ride and I have no idea where I'm going, what it, what's going to happen. But, it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to step yeah. out and do it. And uh, I would encourage people to do the exact, the exact same thing.
0: Oh, I, I love that. I love that you walked us through all that. How'd your family take it?
1: Um, it was difficult for everyone. I can say that my parents were incredibly supportive. Obviously there are family ties to that area and, oh. and uh, that piece of property. So there were some dynamics there. Um, but they were phenomenal. Um, it meant my kids had to change at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it had an impact on everybody, but it has been by and large, very positive. I have a son who's autistic. And because of that move and the promotion, we are now able to send him to a school that specializes in teaching autistic kiddos. And that never would have happened for him If it wasn't for our uh, belief that this step was the right thing. And a a great leader told me a long time ago that the greatest thing you do in life may not be anything that you do, but who you raise. Mm -hmm. And when I think about all of my kids, but my son specifically, who is autistic, I think uh, about if we had never made that move and never got you to this school, you know, your life the world could be completely different if we wouldn't have made that decision so you know it all works out and and i'm i'm confident when i say those doors will open
0: yeah Um, you look for them they'll open you look for them they'll open it's uh it's one of those things where you focus energy flows so no i love that um only a couple more questions i have for you is uh one i'm a huge why guy and purpose guy and I know you said, you know, you, you're you living in your purpose, you know, policing, and you're like, this is what I've been put on this planet to do. Don't know what else you're going to do uh, if, if you had to leave policing. And I think there's a huge amount of cops out there that do it. This is why I run a training. it's called Who Am I If Not? Because then you really, you know, and so this is where the why comes in. My why is to help people truly see themselves uh, so that they become the best version of themselves. You know, and that's all obviously applied towards me first and then towards everybody else. What would you say your why is jt
1: so it, it's kind of intertwined with our mission here at the police department um and it is derived from a quote from vince lombardi um who and and i'll paraphrase but basically he says um we're gonna chase perfection knowing full well we'll never attain it but in our relentless pursuit of perfection will reach excellence. I'm not remotely interested in just being good is, mm-hmm. is basically what he said. And um, my why focuses on excellence and service and protection. Um, I don't, you know, police forever have been to serve and protect, to serve and protect, which is great, but I see that elevated. So it's mm-hmm. excellence and service and protection. And really it is that not not in an irresponsible way, uh, because I know when you are a perfectionist and you're always chasing perfection, that that can be irresponsible. I'm not talking about that kind of uh, perfection, but really in in a pursuit of trying to be the very best caretaker of the community possible, Mm -hmm. we reach kind of that excellence level. And it is to serve those who need to be served and to protect in those moments of vulnerability. Um, I don't like to get into the whole guardian versus warrior because I think a well-rounded police officer is both, and they are emotionally intelligent enough to know which one to apply when. It's not black and white. Nothing about policing is black and white. Um, But it is really about... finding a way, my why is really about finding a way every day to serve someone in such a way that they're blown away with excellence, where they walk away from that encounter going, my gosh, that was the nicest guy I've ever talked to, or that was the most profound thing I've ever heard, or, you know, whatever it is, the nicest officer who's ever pulled me over, or, you know, the fastest service I've ever received from the police or whatever it is that, that, that you want to go down. Just every interaction, um, trying to be as excellent as possible.
0: No, oh, I love that. I love that. Very similar to, you know, creating the best versions of ourselves, you know, being able to, you know, always have that uplift. How do you apply it to yourself first?
1: Well, uh, like I said before, uh, my family is everything. And, um, the first thing that I have to do before I can be good for my family or before I can be good for the police department is I have to take care of myself. Mm. Um, I manage my wellness, uh, my mental health on and on and on in the gym every morning I get up at five o'clock and I go to the gym and that is the time where I organize my thoughts. I think about the people in my life and how I can serve them and what I can do to make their lives better. Um, And while doing that, I am making my body strong. Um, I'm hopefully giving myself longevity. I hope that I'm setting a good example for my boys and for uh, my coworkers, uh, because as you know, the policing profession uh, is notoriously unhealthy. Yep. Um, so in a way I'm trying to lead by example there, but really, um, wellness, the pursuit of excellence, all of that starts, uh, with me, with, with my mind and my body. And so, uh, I work on that first and then I make sure my family is good. My wife is my absolute best friend. We've been married for 15 years and, uh, I owe so much of who I am as a leader and as a person to her. Um, I want to be the best father, uh, to my kids. And so I do all of those things. I do this job. Um, you know, I work on myself so that I can be around for as long as possible and give them a wonderful life and give their kids a wonderful life. Um, you know, and then on and on and on. And then I, I, I send them to school and I come to work and I give the same to the people, um, that I'm blessed to lead here at the police department. Um, in the hopes that their lives are as good as possible. My goal for them is to come to work, have everything they need, have all the support they could ever want and leave at the end of the day and not think about this place until they come back tomorrow. That things are good, that they are stable, that they don't dominate their thoughts when they're away from this place. Um, That's my goal to help them be well and to manage their stress and, and, and to be resilient.
0: No, I love that. I love that because, you know, it's one thing that I, I you've got to train cops a lot in is that self-care first, then family, then work, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those hard things. I'm glad that you're able to articulate you and you know exactly the different stages and the different things that you do for the different ones. And obviously you went over it briefly and I know you have a, a lot more in there. Uh, one of the last questions that I like to ask, first off, I want to know is, uh, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they go about doing it? Maybe they want to, you know, look at coming and joining, you know, your, your department or because they're tired, because they, again, that move, maybe they're like, Hey, this sounds like a lot more appetizing of a place to work. Um, or they just want to follow you to kind of just get to know you a little bit more. see kind of a little bit more of that. How do they do, how do they go about doing that? We'll put the links in. Yes. The description.
1: So, um, you know, we're, we're actually hiring right now. so. If if anybody's interested, you know, we've got a few positions open um, for the police department. They can find us at LakeworthTX.org police. And that'll take you right to the police department site. Um, professionally, I'm on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, my Twitter um, for the police department is LWPD underscore chief. Um, and then personally, I'm on Instagram. At J Monashagan, J-M-A-N-O-U-S-H-A-G-I-A-N. And, um, you know, that's kind of that inside look behind the scenes, behind the curtain. Um, you know, look at my life. That's where my my wife and my kids and uh, my leadership inspiration and all that kind of stuff lives. Um, and so, you know, all those are really great avenues to, to reach me.
0: I love that. I love the fact that you're a bit o- that you're open on Instagram as well, with showing who you are. There's so many cops out there that are like, "No, nah, I've got to lock everything down, and I can't be shown because of the threats and all this stuff." So when you don't live, you don't live. Um, yeah. <laughs> so no, I love There's that. There's
1: Something to be said for vulnerability. Uh, yeah. Brene Brown talks about that.
0: Yeah. And yeah, uh,
1: you know, I'm, not, I'm not talking about being irresponsible, no. but you know, yeah.
0: but I, I say the, your, I, your, I say this all the time be. to officers that I talk to is. You're not being irresponsible by not sitting with your door to the back by by sitting with your door to the back. So many cops, I can't sit with my door with my back to the door. It's like you're not you're not being irresponsible. What you're doing is you're relying on your training and you're being present with those that you're with. You know, you're actually being in the moment. You're not being a cop 24 hours a day because that's when the energy gets drained and that's when you burn out. Um, yeah. So no, I love the fact that you have that vulnerable side. The last question I have for you is, uh, what would you say your top tip to self happiness is?
1: Uh, talk tip to self-happiness. I think that it would be to find something that you truly enjoy. That can be a task that can be a person, um, you know, whatever it is, but, uh, you've got to find that thing that gives you joy, joy breeds happiness, um, and, uh, you know, for me, it's kind of a combination of things. Like I mentioned, like uh, I enjoy going to the gym and being physically fit because that puts me in the proper mental place to be happy and joyful around my family and, and my work. Um, so it's kind of all uh, tied together. But, you know, for some people, you know, I've got a guy that works for me that woodworking is, is how he does that. Um, for some, it can be meditation. It can be, um, you know, uh, religious practice. It can be, you know, any number of things, but you, you got to find that, that source of joy.
0: Mm. No, I love it. I love it. Uh, thanks. Thank you, JT, for being here. Thank you for taking the time away from work, away from your family. Um, any last words that you have that you want to add in?
1: No, just take care of yourself. Take care of the people that are around you. Um, thank you for, for having me and, and for engaging with people really all over the world about you know, this topic that, that is so important. We can't afford as a profession to lose good people. We got to do everything we can. We need the good. Yeah. And um, so I think we owe it to ourselves and each other uh, to talk about these things and make sure that um, this profession has the people in it uh, that it needs. So thank you for your work Uh, making sure that that happens and those conversations are going um and if i can ever be of uh, help you know just let me know happy to do it
0: awesome thank you jt well thank you very much and thank you for being the leader that you are you know you can see truly you know that you are you do embody this that you you want to make those the cops the best make this the best place for them and make your your city and and the world uh you know a much better place by by your actions. so i I praise you and I, i say thank you for that and thanks for being here today uh, and for all those listening and, wa- and, and watching, uh, make sure you like and subscribe and share this to somebody. You know, Somebody will get something out of this, whether they're a police officer, first responder, or a civilian, as we call uh, everybody else. Um, but uh, share it out there. Um, we want to make an impact. We want to show people you know, what it's really like and also help them not burn out. Uh, as I said in the very beginning, take one thing away from today this is gonna be up there forever. You can always come back and watch it again and grab another thing. But one thing changed every day uh, is exponential growth uh, by the end of the year. So do that. Uh, Thanks again, JT, and thank you everybody for listening. If you are needing help or needing assistance, you can always reach out to us. The links are in the bio for anything that we're running and doing, uh, and also my email, my personal email is down there as well, should you need to. reach out or want to reach out um, for any assistance. But till next time guys, my motto is always train hard, test easy. That is train the body and the mind hard. So when you get thrown those tests, they're like uh, water running off the back of a duck. So we'll talk soon guys. Thanks for listening and appreciate it.